All right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night, Monday morning, just kind of on that bridge. You know when I record. I am recording this uh, over 24 hours after the Nuggets dropped their game to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Final score of that, it was like around 125, 119, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the the actual details of that game, I'm not going to focus on that game so much in this particular podcast. I think it's probably more important to start thinking bigger picture uh, with some of these games towards the end of this season. Uh, this stretch is going to get a little bit ugly. There's going to be a lot of rest. There's going to be a lot of playoff updates, and, and I've been doing that pretty much every time I podcast because they really do change every time we podcast. And It's important to keep the masses up to date, and I'm sure you guys appreciate that, or at least I hope so. If you don't, uh, let me know and I will focus more on some other things. But for now, it is important to just kind of break down what matters most at this point. And to me, it's, it's the games, but also just kind of setting up what is to come in the playoffs. And I think that this is going to be a good time to really just focus on, we'll focus on the Brooklyn loss in the first segment. Then we're going to get into the playoff update and some some potential rest schedules in, in the second segment to try to get Nikola Jokic and others some rest. Uh, Michael Malone mentioned that post game yesterday. And then we will talk about an, an article that came out from Mike Singer on Austin Rivers and just sort of talking about the guard rotation. Uh, more, more, Mike's Mike's article really prompted that discussion that I'm going to have, but we're going to do that and we're going to do Monday positivity and it should be fun. So without further ado, let's get into this, starting with this Brooklyn game. The big story of this one, I would say, is just kind of the crunch time stuff that Denver had to deal with and and the fact that in this particular contest, uh, Denver didn't really operate well in the clutch. They had several opportunities to do so. They had several opportunities to get it done, but ultimately, that's not what happened. And uh, I think the the blame, if you're going to say it, first and foremost, should be put on Nikola Jokic's shoulders. He shot below 50% from the field. He was 0 of 5 from 3. Uh, he had five turnovers and six assists, and I thought that some of the turnovers that he had were pretty sloppy. And and that's, look, It's this isn't supposed to be a major criticism of him because he has had to carry a major load and we'll talk about that. But it's important to be honest about this. And I thought that Jokic missed a lot of opportunities. So just going in the last five minutes of that game, uh, the Nets were up three points. Uh, Jokic gets in a tip. He, he tips in a missed. Then he turns the ball over. Then he misses a three. Then he makes a uh, midi. Then he turns the ball over again. Um, then he uh, gets some free throws. Then he misses a shot uh, at the 57 second mark, where that was deemed to be a foul, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was he was fouled by Joe Harris at that point. Uh, then he missed another shot against Kevin Durant with about 24 seconds left. Then there was a botched uh, two-man game with him and Michael Porter, and that was more Michael Porter's fault, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but botched two-man game leads to a jump ball. Jokic somehow tips the ball to himself at at about the the 15-second mark and has an open shot uh, for a bank shot. Uh, 
I thought that Nick Claxton, who was against him at that moment, defended that well. And the last two minute report said other, or it said the same thing that it wasn't a foul. Uh, but Jokic misses that shot. Foul occurs uh, with the Nuggets down three, um, and they're out of the game. Jokic gets a technical foul, basically tries to get thrown out of the game at that point. I said on Twitter at that point that it was a frustration tech, but also an exhaustion tech, because this is an, another sort of example of Jokic racking up some heavy minutes. This time he played about 37. And this was a game that I thought that Denver could win going away if they had some good opportunities. And and they did. They're, the bench played pretty well in the second quarter, did not play well in the fourth quarter. And, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a brief minute here. But yeah, this this game from Jokic, it felt like a it felt like a slog. And he started off very efficiently, ultimately started losing focus. Uh the, the shots just weren't dropping and, and he did it was just a couple opportunities where guys were being physical with him and I don't think that he responded to it very well. Which is abnormal because usually he responds to it very well in these situations. So you wonder whether it it's just not not getting to be too much, but whether he could he could have the load lightened a little bit. Remember that the Nuggets were without, obviously, Jamal Murray, but they were without Monte Morris, Will Barton, P.J. Dozier in this game as well. And then Aaron Gordon is kind of a late scratch as well. So Denver and, and Jokic, they have to do a lot of heavy lifting with very few guys, and that's a big issue. Uh, Paul Millsap also sat tonight or last night on the second night of a back-to-back, so just not a lot of healthy bodies that could help lighten the load for Jokic. And there's just a lot of pressure on his shoulders right now. So I hope that he is able to be, he's able to get a break at some point. We'll talk about that in the second segment, but he just seems like a guy that is very mentally not, not bothered, but like, just like he could use a spa day. He could use a day where he doesn't think about basketball for a little bit, and that would be great. Uh, we'll see if he can actually get one, whether Denver can get him one, but that is something that should be on the to-do list. Uh, Michael Porter versus uh, Kevin Durant was a very interesting matchup. Michael Porter initially guarded uh, by a variety of different players on Brooklyn, uh, most notably Jeff Green, and but then Kevin Durant switched on to him when Michael Porter started really going off. This was a really impressive game, uh, especially in that first half for Michael Porter, where he just couldn't miss in that first quarter. He had 17 points in the first quarter, uh, five of six from three, and every shot was going in. He was getting to the spots that he wanted to get to, and the Nets just could not defend him, and, and he generated a lot of those shots with good, confident shooting and good, confident movement. And that's a really important step for somebody like him, where he's going to have to do a lot of his work off ball, and he does a lot of his work off ball, but once you get to those points, uh, once once you get to those spots on the floor, you want to be able to capitalize, and he certainly did, and he did it in a big way in that first quarter. Had, I think, uh, 21 points in the first half, finished with 28. And that is notable, in my opinion, because the Nets, it, it wasn't like, Kevin Durant was a lockdown guy, but he switched on to him in that second half and and was very much on him more frequently. Um, And 
I think that they lost track, Denver lost track in general, of getting the ball to Porter consistently. And they have to have some plays, they have to have some sets where they know that they can generate a good open shot for him. Because it certainly feels like, especially lately, where Denver just doesn't have a lot of other options and they're they're just trying to play Jokic Porter two-man game a lot of the time. Where they they finally get the ball to Porter, but it's kind of a, a contested shot where he's moving sideways and it's not a great look, and then he misses it, and then Denver feels pretty bad because they didn't run normal offense where it goes through Jokic, where he's just distributing the ball, and then they run back to that, and Jok- and Porter doesn't really touch it because, well, Kevin Durant is face guarding him, or or Jeff Green is face guarding him, or Bruce Brown, or somebody like that. Denver is ultimately going to get to a place where Porter is going to be able to call for the ball in the post, and they're going to be able to find him consistently there. I wonder if there's going to be some opportunities for Denver in the playoffs where if they're playing Porter next to Gordon, and Gordon has the power forward on him, and Porter is the small forward, where Jokic can enter the ball into the post for him kind of like the five entering the ball into the three uh, in the low post, and Porter trying to take advantage of that mismatch, but also sort of moving around the defense and having Jokic on the strong side where he can just, if he can get the ball back out to Jokic, then Jokic can really kind of command everything from the top still. There are going to be some opportunities to do that and kind of explore different ways to get Porter the ball, but also just kind of leverage his ability to do so with the ball in his hands. Uh, Saturday night, it didn't really work, especially in that second half. That that two-man game, uh, Denver tried to run a play for Michael Porter with about 24 seconds left in the game. They were down three. They wanted a three. Porter was supposed to set up the DHO uh, with Jokic, where he was coming off the coming off the screen to his left. He would have grabbed the ball and probably risen up to shoot a three. They wanted him to shoot that. Unfortunately, he didn't really set up that DHO properly, causing Jeff Green the ability to get into the gap to kind of contest everything and and ultimately force a jump ball. Porter has to do a better job of acting like he's going to do something else or even just getting into his man a little bit more rather than letting Jeff Green get into him. And that's a learning process. It's a learning curve. And Denver, they're going to have to figure things out. They're going to have to figure out how to run this two-man game of the clutch. Because those are Denver's two most unguardable players, just like Murray and Jokic were on a consistent basis for the last two playoff runs. So this playoff run is going to look a lot different for obvious reasons, but that is going to be the biggest one, that Denver's going to have to find a way to navigate whether, if, if let's say everybody's healthy, except Murray. They're going to have to learn to navigate whether they want to do a, a just a simple Morris-Jokic pick-and-roll, a Barton-Jokic pick-and-roll, or some sort of Jokic-Porter two-man game where maybe Porter starts with the ball in his hands, and maybe they try to do it that way. Maybe the ball starts in Jokic's hands, and they, they try to put him at the top of the key, and then Porter just comes around a screen. I don't know how they're going to handle it, but they're going to try to get Porter involved. He has to be able to do the little things to set himself up so that he can get those shots. It really tapered off in the second half last game, so I hope that he uses these last couple of games as kind of a tune-up for setting those shots up a little bit better. 
Uh, Faku did some great things offensively. He was very, very, very efficient. Uh, 19 points on nine shots, eight of eight from the three point line, three of six from three. Uh, so 14 of his po- or 17 of his points, excuse me, they came from the three point line or the free throw line. That is great. Five assists, zero turnovers, three steals. Really strong box score game from Faku. Denver needs that production, especially when they have so many guys out. They've needed players to step up. And it was supposed to be Will Barton, then he got hurt. It was supposed to be Monte Morris, then he got hurt. It was PJ Dozier, and then he got hurt. So it's now fallen to Faku, and he's doing a good job of sort of setting that up a little bit. Um, it would be too much to ask Austin Rivers to do that. Clearly too much to ask Jamichael uh, Green to do that. So I think that Denver is going to be in a spot where, oh, I, I guess I forgot the Jamichael Green play, where uh, on that miss from Jokic, when he was being guarded by Kevin Durant with about 20 seconds left, he gets the miss, but the ball falls to Jamichael Green, who has just a, a wide open putback layup. Denver was down either one or three at that point. I think it was one because the ball went out of bounds, then the Nets got free throws after that. So it really was like like a 25 seconds left or something. Ball comes down to Jamichael Green. He has the opportunity to grab it and put it back and just whiffs on it. It was awful and ugly, especially on replay, where there was nobody around him. He grabs the ball with his right hand and then knocks the ball out of his left uh, out of his right hand with his left hand trying to go back up for a putback layup he has been like he had three offensive rebounds in this game but i don't think he had any points on the putback actually there was a uh, pretty sure there was one putback dunk but he has so many opportunities to grab these offensive rebounds that they all seem to be going through his hands lately or when he does grab it if he's contested at the rim he misses so very frustrating to see that. Um, but okay, so Jamichael Green had a bad game. It is what it is. Back to Faku. Strong offensive game for him. Uh, Kyrie hit some shots over him, but he did some good things against Kyrie in the first half. Unfortunately, Kyrie kind of figured that out in the second half and was able to kind of navigate it a little bit. So that does not give me confidence that by game five of a playoff series against elite guards or elite wings, that Faku's going to be out there consistently and they aren't going to be able to figure it out. Uh, Dame, CJ, Luka Doncic, those first round options for Denver. Those are the most likely uh, playoff opponents. The Blazers are the Mavericks, most likely the Mavs. Uh, can, can Faku beat up or can he, can he stand up to a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr.? Can he stand up to a guy like Josh Richardson on the Mavs or Jalen Brunson, guys like that? Are those guys going to be able to figure it out too? Because Luka's 6'8". Like, it's understandable if if uh, if Faku can't defend Luka in the post. He has given him issues abroad, but that was also with Luka at a much younger age. So we will see. I also think that it's kind of unfortunate that the Nuggets don't really go to Faku late in the shot clock or, or kind of late in the game clock, late in the game. It was really all Jokic post-ups, and Denver kind of needed to move the ball. I think that Jokic kind of got a little bit tired, a little bit flustered, a little bit frustrated that he wasn't getting calls, that the shots weren't going in, etc. 
that he was making mistakes because he was making some bad mistakes in the post. Um, Denver needs a pick and roll guard in that situation. And, and Faku kept dumping it down to Jokic and maybe, maybe that's on Faku for just, he, he has to start running some pick and roll. Maybe, maybe they have to give him the, the luxury and the leverage to do that. Maybe, maybe he doesn't have it late in the game. I don't know. Point being is that Denver really misses their guys. They they need more players than they have. Um, final thing on this game before we go to break um, the bench. This was a, a really weird bench unit. It was, just so I get it right, uh, Marcus Howard, Shaq Harrison, Vlako Chanchar, Bull Bull, and JaVale McGee. 46 combined minutes for those first four guys. Uh, Shaq, Vlako, Bull Bull, Marcus Howard. Good minutes for Marcus Howard. He got a podium game. 13 points for him, 5 of 11 from the field, had an and one against Kyrie Irving, had two threes. Uh, didn't really do much else. If you look at the rest of his box score, 13 points, one rebound, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, zero turnovers, minus nine. Uh, Marcus Howard is out there to really do one thing, and that's to get buckets. He's going to have to develop more to his game. He's going to have to be a better defender. He's going to have to be a better passer. He's going to have to find a way at his size to do other things other than just try to score the basketball because Denver can find that guy and they can find him for taller. So we're we're going to need to see a little bit more out of Marcus Howard in the offseason. I, I wonder if, if COVID's all cleared up and Denver and the, the Nuggets and everybody can can sort of figure out life again, then maybe seeing him in a Las Vegas environment if he's he's going to score a lot down there for summer league but i hope that they could get him down there so that he could work on other things in his game and show show that uh because right now i don't think he's a keeper i think uh, we're going to get to it in the third segment but i think that he's probably not going to be around long term but we'll see uh but again like denver struggled with a bench that included Marcus Howard, Shaq Harrison, Vlatko, Bull Bull, JaVale McGee. It shouldn't be a surprise. None of those guys are good except for JaVale. JaVale should be at least better than what he was. And and he was making a lot of weird mistakes. And some of that probably came because he was playing with some guys that he's not used to playing with. Some of that was not that related. Like, he was just making bad decisions. He was doing too much, trying to do too much. Uh, wasn't rebounding well enough, wasn't blocking or altering any shots. Just There was just not a lot going on or going well for JaVale. And that is not really a good sign because Denver needs him if they're... If they're well, actually, they may not need him. At this point, I may think that Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green are just going to be the guys that are playing in the playoffs. It may not be JaVale McGee, and that's okay. But I do not want to hear another person complain to me that Bull Bull isn't playing because he did nothing. Like, that is, it's the most frustrating thing to me that when you see other, when you saw Michael Porter last year, you could really see signs. You could really see flashes that he could be a star. With Bull Bull, I see not a lot of that because there aren't a lot of tangible things that he does that impact winning in any way. He hasn't grabbed an offensive rebound this year in all of his minutes. He doesn't go down there. He stands on the perimeter. He just doesn't really do anything unless he has the ball in his hands. And 
the defense is actually a really big concern because he's not big enough to play center and he's not quick enough to play power forward. That's a problem. Hopefully he develops, and, and if Denver is going to keep him around, then they, they need to find time to develop him because they're about to get really expensive and they, they need cheaper options. And Bulbul could be that. I, I just sort of doubt it at this point. But either way, uh, Denver struggled. Uh, Kevin Durant scored 33 points, had 11 rebounds, 7 assists. He did have 13 free throws, and a lot of those came late. Uh, Kyrie, 31 points. Four assists, 11 of 17. He was struggling at one point. I think it was like 5 of 11 in the first half, 4 of, a, four of 10, something like that. I don't think he missed after that because he was 11 of 17. So he is very good, and it's not great that, that Denver kind of lost in the way that you think that they should have. Blake Griffin also kicked ass. That was a big problem too. But is what it is. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we are not going to talk about that game. We are going to kind of move on, talk about the playoffs, talk about the schedule, talk about finding rest opportunities. We will be right back. Before we get into the second segment, I want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Big names are headlining this weekend's UFC 262 card. From Nate Diaz to Michael Chandler, there will be no shortage of action. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app and the official sports betting partner of the UFC, has a heavyweight offer for this weekend's fight with 100-to-1 odds. One fighter will be walking away with a belt. Who will be walking away with the cash? Is it going to be you? Just pick the main event fighter you think will win, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100-to-1 odds on that fighter. That's right. Bet $1 on select fighters, and if they win, you win $100. There is no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on so many other sports, and they are safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. When you bet on a main card fighter for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Back here on Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Playoff update. Let's do that now. Current playoff standings as they are right now. One, Utah. Two, Phoenix. Three, LA Clippers. Four, Denver. Five, Dallas. Six, Portland. Seven, LA Lakers. Eight, Golden State. Not going to go into nine and ten. Uh, because I think that those are probably going to be the eight teams that are in, just based off of how things are breaking down. And I think those are probably going to be the eight seeds as well. All of the teams have a pretty big gap between them. Not a, maybe not a big gap, but a, a significant, sizable gap 
between where they are and where I where like I think other teams would have to get in order to get to them. Utah, they have a two-game lead on Phoenix. Utah also has a pretty easy schedule to close it out. Uh, they have at Golden State, which is going to be tough. They have Portland, which is going to be tough. But they have Oklahoma City, and they have Sacramento as the final two games of their schedule. Those are probably two wins if they want them. Phoenix, they also have Golden State, but Golden State will be on the second night of a back-to-back. They also have Portland. Portland will be on the second night of a back-to-back, so keep that in mind. So Phoenix, they do have some catching potential, but they do have San Antonio twice. And San Antonio, they are hanging on by a thread for that 10 spot. They want to stay in the playoff picture, and if they don't, uh, New Orleans is going to jump up in their place. San Antonio definitely could drop, though, so so keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, I think that, especially at the top here, uh, with Utah, Phoenix, LA, Denver, it's likely that those four teams are going to finish in those four seeds. Could Phoenix move up? Yes. Could they move down? Technically. They actually do have, because they have that tougher schedule that I just mentioned, the Clippers, they have at Toronto, at Charlotte, at Houston, and at OKC which is a pretty easy schedule, though Toronto is going to be, like, they're, they're kind of dead at this point. Uh, the Pacers are up by, up by five losses over them for that 10 seed. Um, and the Hornets, they are at 33 and 35, which is right in between Boston and Washington at 7 and 9, so Charlotte's at the 8 spot. But those aren't great teams, and the Clippers, they could definitely take them down. And we know that Houston and OKC, they're going to be trying to lose. They are tanking. They are trying to get down to the bottom. Houston, they have nothing to play for. They are so far, so far back. Actually, they're in the one seed. So they they might they might try. Like they they don't have any reason to rest guys at that point. I think that they are so far back that they probably clinch the one spot in the in the tanking odds, but is what it is. Denver, they have Charlotte, Minnesota, Detroit, and Portland. As we've mentioned, those three games with Charlotte, Minnesota, and Detroit, relatively easy ones. Portland, they're going to be trying. They're going to be trying to keep the Lakers at bay. Though they do have, uh, they definitely do have an opportunity, Portland does, to get up to the five seed if they want it. So if they wanted to face Denver, over the Clippers, which I wouldn't blame them, given that Jamal Murray is going to be out. If they wanted to face uh, Denver over the Clippers, then they're probably going to try as hard as they can in order to get up there. I don't know who Denver would rather face between Portland and Dallas, but Denver, they could have an opportunity that if they wanted to rest that game, if they wanted to tank, and Portland had the opportunity to get up to the five seed, flashbacks back to 2019 when Denver basically did the same thing to ensure that Portland was on their side of the bracket in the the 2-3 matchup. Denver almost went to the Western Conference Finals because of that, but Portland got the last laugh on Denver's own floor in Game 7. So this time around, Denver doesn't have Jamal Murray. Portland, I think, is a better team than they were at that point, uh, just because they have a variety of other pieces and Yusuf Nurkic is healthy. But they, they actually do have Inez Cantor again, and, and still have Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. So Denver, they probably don't care whether they're at three or four. 
because they probably don't really care whether they're facing Dallas or Portland. I think that they'd rather stay at four because they want to stay as far away from the Lakers as possible. And here's where those scenarios go. Dallas, their schedule is as thus. They have at Memphis, New Orleans, Toronto, and at Minnesota. Toronto, at the point that they're playing them, is probably going to be eliminated. Minnesota will definitely be eliminated. The tough games are now against Memphis on Tuesday and against New Orleans on Wednesday. If Dallas can win those games, or well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Because if Dallas, like, if they win one of those games, um, actually, no, let's say they win the first two. Say they win two. They get to 42 and 30. The Lakers are currently at 38 and 30. That would immediately put the Lakers in the max that they could get is the sixth seed because Dallas, they couldn't reach them at that point. Portland, that's, gonna, that's also going to be a similar thing because if Portland and the Lakers tie, then Portland is going to be ahead. If Dallas and the Lakers tie, Dallas is going to be ahead. If all three of them tie, it's going to be Dallas, Portland, Lakers because Dallas is the, uh, the division winner. So in all likelihood, the Lakers are still going to be at seven, despite the fact that they won tonight against Phoenix. I wanted to uh, podcast late so that I had those results. Uh, but the Lakers, they still have the Knicks on Tuesday. And if the Knicks win that game, then Portland is basically, or uh, the Lakers are basically locked into the seventh seed because Portland, they're probably going to win against Houston on Monday. If they don't, I would be shocked. Uh, but if they win that, then Denver will gift them a free win, basically, on uh, on uh, the last get, the last day of the season. So Denver, they're gonna they're gonna be able to maneuver the standings the way that they want to. This is probably like they're probably gonna be fine. If Portland has at least a top six seed locked heading into the last game of the season. Denver might try to win that final game so that they get into the three seed and maybe they, they may, if they want to face Portland, then they would prefer to face them because Denver, they could still get into the three seed too. They're only one back of the Clippers. But I don't think that Denver's really worried about that particular matchup between Dallas, Portland. They're both going to be tough. That is really the big point here. Both of those teams are going to be difficult, and you're, you're going to face a tough matchup any way you slice it because, like I said, Denver's going to be without Jamal Murray. They traded for Aaron Gordon so that they could match up with players like Luka Doncic, so maybe they feel better against Dallas now. I don't know if I would because I, I sort of like Denver's matchup against Portland and against lumbering centers like Nurkic and Cantor, but maybe Denver feels differently. Maybe they're like slighter smaller players so that they could uh, just kind of outsize them, which is fair. That would definitely be fair. Point being, though, Denver at this point, I don't know how many more games they actually need to win, because if they just win one more, or if Dallas loses one more, then Denver is locked into a top four seed. They will have home court advantage in the first round. It's almost guaranteed at this point. And that should be a very important piece of this for Denver. They, uh, 
they wanted that. They wanted that home court advantage. But I'm not sure whether, like I said, they they don't care if they get up to the three. They're not getting up to the two at this point. They've lost too many games. So if they get up to the three, like, does it really change anything by the second round? No, not really. I think they'd probably rather just stay up four. If that's the case, if that's how it goes, then it is what it is. I think that Denver is probably going to look at resting Nikola Jokic on May 14th against Detroit and potentially May 16th against Portland. It might not be like, like, and I, I think that that's made easier if they win on Tuesday against Charlotte. Because if they win that game, if Jokic has a big performance, uh, just something like 30 points, 18 rebounds, 12 assists, something like that, kind of stamps a seal of approval on that MVP trophy, and Denver wins and they earn the top four seed, that is a good game to go out on. That means that Denver, like, if if Jokic still wants to play uh, in the final three games, like, Denver's not going to hold him out. They're not going to force him out, I think. But they are going to limit his minutes. I would be surprised if he played in the second half against Portland. I think I can guarantee that, actually. I would be surprised if he played at all against Detroit. I think that it's just kind of a matter of what Jokic cares about, whether he cares about playing every game of the season, whether he cares about staying healthy for the playoffs, or at least like guaranteeing that. Uh, Denver, for like, they're going to have to find a way to get him a mental breather. Having these past two or these two days off, Sunday and Monday, definitely helps. It's been a long time since Denver had two days two days off. Let me uh, let me just actually check that real quick, um, just to look at their schedule really quickly here. Um, the last time they had two days off was April nineteenth, uh, in between April sixteenth and April nineteenth. Uh, that was roughly. Three weeks ago, is what I would say. No, two weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, and it's kind of tough when you're when you're in that situation. Uh, Denver, I actually remember that they didn't even practice on that second off day. Usually, teams practice if they have two days off, they take that second day off and they use it as a practice session. Denver never did that. They actually chose not to, and I was kind of shocked because I just sort of expected that. That would be a good time to get Aaron Gordon going, but they uh, they decided that taking the off time was much more important. Actually, uh, oh no, that was a game against Houston, so never mind. Point being, Denver's going to try to find time to rest Jokic. They're probably going to find time to rest Michael Porter Jr. If they rest him on that final game against Portland, would not be surprised, especially since that's a possible playoff matchup for Denver. They might not want they might not want to give away more secrets than they have to about guarding Michael Porter Jr. Uh Denver might also rest him for either the front end or the back end of the Minnesota Detroit back to back. Uh Aaron Gordon might get a game of rest here. They might get Faku Campasso another game of rest uh, because Faku has been killing it with the high minutes lately. That is going to be a big deal for Denver. And going into these playoffs as healthy as possible. That is going to be the only way they are going to advance. Like, they're already operating at a disadvantage because they don't have Jamal. That was the biggest blow of the playoffs for any possible team. Denver, 
They have to find a way to navigate that. And the best way to do so is to quite simply rest guys at the beginning. I think you want to, if you can get Monte Morris back over the course of the next week, or Will Barton back over the course of the next week, you want to play them a game or two before they hop into the playoffs, but it's going to be tough. Like Denver, they have a, a serious problem right now because I don't think that they know whether they can, uh, I don't think that they know who is going to be ready. And those guys might be ready over the course of the next week. We might see players come back, but I think it's going to be very interesting to talk about that if those players are back, you know, let's let's save it for the third segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about this guard rotation and, and just talk about Mike Singer's article, because I think that this is going to be an ongoing story for Denver. Who plays, who doesn't, who is available to play. We'll be right back. We're back. Final segment. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, saving Monday positivity until the end, so stick around if you're looking for that. Uh, guard rotation stuff, though. I think this is a, this is an important topic that I want to hit. Uh, Mike Singer wrote a really nice article on the Denver Post on Austin Rivers. Uh, got to know him a little bit. Got to talk to him a little bit. Uh, the ending of that article, I thought, was probably the most important piece of it. Uh, though there are a lot of important pieces, and you should read Mike's article for sure. Uh, Austin Rivers said he would love to be with the Nuggets moving forward. That's my goal, Rivers said. The goal is to be here long term. It's just a, it's just been a natural fit. I can't speak for them. I know it's a business. I love this team. That's all I, I can say. And he understands that. Look, Denver. They brought him in. They brought him in because they were shorthanded. <laughs> They've, they've definitely played Austin Rivers a lot more than they probably hoped to because of how many injuries have stacked on top of the Jamal injury. But let's say that at the, at the beginning of the playoffs, or, or at least some point during the playoffs when Denver is they're, they're fighting for their playoff lives, let's say that everybody's healthy. Monte Morris, Faku Campazo, Marcus Howard, Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison, Will Barton, P.J. Dozier. Those are Denver's seven guards. Jamal Murray's the eighth. He's not in this exercise. Uh, Denver has a a variety of power forward options. They have some big wings, uh, not big wings, uh, really more versatile forward types, and then they have some bigs. Uh, But they have a lot of guards. There are a lot of guards that I think deserve a, a look in the playoff series. and. I think that Denver is going to play some three-guard lineups in the playoffs as well, especially if they match up with teams like Dallas, with teams like Portland. If they happen to get to the second round, they'll probably face Utah. And I would be shocked if Denver didn't play more three-guard lineups, sometimes four-guard lineups, if Porter's off the floor, against a team like Utah. Because I'm not worried about Utah trying to outsize me. I'm worried about their perimeter game, their three-point game, and closing off the three-point line. That's how I'm worried with a lot of these teams, and Phoenix could be one of them, Dallas could be one of them, 
Portland could be one of them. Denver, they're going to play three guard lineups. And I think the four main players that will play in those three lineup or those guard lineups will be Monte Morris, Faku Campazzo, Will Barton, and PJ Dozier. That's assuming they're all healthy. And to be clear, uh, three of those guys are not healthy right now. And we don't know what they're going to look like when they come back. Faku, I think he's earned the opportunity, at least at the beginning, to play and see how he does. But Monte Morris, Will Barton, and PJ Dozier, they've earned it throughout the season as well. It wouldn't surprise me if those three guys play the most amount of minutes, if all three of them are healthy. Morris, he brings that versatility as a both a traditional point guard, but also somebody who can shoot off the ball and who can move around, who can do some other things. He's a decent screener. He's a good uh, catch-and-shoot guy. Somebody who Denver trusts, who they've, they've played in the playoffs in the past. And his first time around, didn't do well. Second time around, he was a very consistent member of what Denver needed. That was big. Will Barton, he's also been around. He's also been very important. He has not had a playoffs where he has been a very consistent member. This could be the third straight playoffs where he is a liability, at least an injury liability, or maybe he's just not the same when he comes back. That is really scary, and we'll talk about that from a long-term perspective in just a little bit. But when he's on the floor and when he's healthy, he's a quality starting shooting guard. He's a guy who you can put the ball in his hands and he can make a good decision. You can kick him out a pass and he's going to hit a three. You can have him rebound. You can have him switch on defense, and he does a pretty good job. When he's not guarding a 6'8 forward full-time, he usually does pretty well defensively. Sometimes he struggles, but when he can use his size and his length at the 2, as opposed to being undersized at the 3, he looks like a lot different of a defender. He's not a great defender, but he's a guy that Denver can count on on the offensive end. That when they go in a rut... They can put Will Barton out there, a 38% three-point shooter, and feel pretty good. He's not a great driver, still not finishing at the paint, but if they need an outside shot, I feel pretty good about him being out there. Probably better than I feel about P.J. Dozier. Maybe not better than Faku right now, but I think that Will is going to get those shots up better than Faku. Uh, I wonder how Faku is going to respond to that environment. He has earned the opportunity to do so. Uh, there are going to be matchups where he's not good. We just don't know what those matchups are yet. Like, I wonder if he does a decent job against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. CJ. He might. He might not. I think that Argentina fans should be open to the possibility that he may struggle. And if he does struggle, and I say that he struggles, please don't kill me. Uh, but. I think that he is going to make an impact. I don't know how large of an impact it's going to be, and it might not be one where he has to stay on the floor for a significant amount of time. Maybe you just want him out there for 15 to 20 minutes so he can do his thing. But it's 15 to 20 minutes more than I think he would have played had Murray been out there. So, hopefully he takes advantage. PJ is the guy that I think is going to be a big wild card. Because if he is good enough as a shooter and good enough as a decision maker with the ball in his hands, 
He's Denver's best defender in their backcourt. Even over Shaq Harrison, I think. Because PJ, he's just a very smart defender, switchable, somebody who can fill the gaps, does a great job rotating, good off-ball, a great off-ball defender. The stats back that up, too. Denver's going to need him, especially in a playoff series where they're playing uh, Jokic and they're playing a team that does spread, pick, and roll. They're going to need guys who can rotate on the backside and do it quickly. P.J. Dozier is like that. Think of like an Alex Caruso for the Lakers and how important he is to that team. P.J. is better than Alex Caruso, in my opinion. Uh, That might rub some Laker fans the wrong way, but I think P.J. is more talented for sure. And he is going to be a guy that plays a major role in playoff wins. If he's healthy. But enough about the playoffs for right now. Long term, I think is this is a question that I got on Twitter that I wanted to answer a little bit more in depth. Uh, what is Denver going to do long term at guard? Because I think they want Austin Rivers, and Austin Rivers might play in that grouping, by the way. Austin Rivers, he'll get his opportunities. He won't play the most, I don't think, but there's a chance that he plays over Faku. There's a chance that he plays over PJ. There's a chance that if Will Barton's not back and healthy, that he just takes those minutes. So we're going to see. We're going to see how he handles it and how they play. But I'm, I'm, I think that he will get opportunities. And Shaq Harrison, if Denver gets into foul trouble, if they have a guy that they need to stop at the guard position, they'll throw Shaq Harrison out there and give him a shot. That I do believe. Long term, though. Jamal Murray, going to be out for a while. They need to survive. Denver does. They need to be able to survive without Jamal Murray through at least the all-star break of next year. That's what I would guess, just based off of the timing of things. That means that it's probably about 40 games, 45 games, 50 games, whatever the case may be. Denver's going to have to figure it out, assuming it's back to an 82-game schedule. Monte Morris was signed. P.J. Dozier is signed. Faku Kambazo is signed. Will Barton, he has a player option, so he could come back if he so chose. Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison, Marcus Howard, they're all free agents. If Will Barton decides that he wants to be back, then he'll be back. You can pick up that player option. That's important. If he declines that player option, says he wants to be back in Denver, but he wants to do it on a multi-year deal, Denver, they'll, they'll probably try to sign him back. They'll probably try to give him like a two-year deal or something. But they might not. They also might decide that they want to go a different direction because it's a little bit more complicated than just, uh, hey, you, you want to be back? We want you back. Because Will's getting older, and Denver, they're about to get into the luxury tax where maybe not this year, but, but next year, um, they're going to start paying a big bill because Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are already on max deals. Michael Porter, he's going to command a max. Like, no questions asked. Uh, that is going to kick in after, not next season, but the following year. That will kick in at that point. So Denver does have this one year upcoming where they have a little bit of a reprieve. And because they traded Gary Harris's contract for Aaron Gordon, which turns into about a $16 million contract next year, they should be okay. They may not even hit the luxury tax next year. It wouldn't surprise me if they avoided it. But Denver does have the luxury of being able to pay other players. They could pay to bring Will Barton back. They could bring all their guys back. 
Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison, whatnot. They may want to go a different direction, and they'll probably find a, a way to both survive in the short term while also game planning for the long term. Because Denver's going to need a short-term piece that fits really well with Nicola and Michael Porter Jr. That guy's probably going to have to be a facilitator. But they also have to be able to shoot off the ball because Nicola handles the ball as much as he does. Maybe Denver doesn't even need a, a, a one guard. Maybe they just want to bring back Monte and Vaku and be good with that. PJ can slide to the one if necessary. But could you need a, a 6-6-2 guard? Somebody who's a, a sniper? Sure. But they're also going to have to figure out who fits best with Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter, and Jamal Murray in the long term. That was what RJ Hampton was supposed to be. Denver could use an RJ Hampton right now, somebody who is very athletic, was looking to develop that that both that combo guard game, that on-ball game, that off-ball game. Denver couldn't really develop them in the moment. Uh, they couldn't develop RJ because they had too many guys ahead of him at that point. And all of their uh, all of their guard injuries happened after they traded RJ, which sucks. But Denver will probably replace him. They'll probably draft another combo guard or shooting guard prospect and develop that player with their 2021 first round pick. That would be my guess. They've already got Michael Porter. They've already got Aaron Gordon. They've already got Zeke Naji, who they drafted last year. They have forward options for sure. Maybe they draft another big try to replace uh, what they might lose in the front court, but I think they'll probably draft some sort of combo guard or shooting guard prospect and figure that out with the first round draft pick. And at that point, you have a full rotation again of guys that you can probably rely on for a full season and still do really well while building around Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter, and then hoping to survive before Jamal Murray gets back. Because once he does, Denver's going to be a really impressive team once again. They're already an impressive team, but the fact that they were getting a lot of title picks after trading for Aaron Gordon and seeing what their team could be, it was legit. And I think that Jamal Murray, like, if he gets healthy, once he does, once he starts getting developed again, and once he, uh, once he gets up to speed, Denver still has that championship window next year, so they need to game plan for it. They're going to have to. I think that's more fun to talk about sometimes than a loss against the Brooklyn Nets. So I hope that helps everybody. Keep staying positive. Uh, Monday positivity. Uh, I, uh, I, I want to shout out Ava on Nuggets Twitter. She's an absolute gem. If you don't follow her, make sure to go follow her. Uh, May is mental health month. And I had a pretty serious mental breakdown yesterday. Just sort of a, a near panic attack while I was out on the golf course. Uh, it was tough kind of coping with that, and uh, just kind of you have to start from and approach that, try to approach it from a place of more positivity than you're feeling at that moment, just from the anxiety and stuff like that. But I just wanted to share that like, if you are going through something, you're definitely not alone. Uh, you're definitely, definitely not alone. Uh, sometimes I've struggled with that and struggling to remember that I'm not alone in these battles. When I say stuff like this, when I say stuff on Twitter, uh, people, the amount of people that reach out to me and share something personal, uh, it's pretty alarming and it's pretty, but it's really significant. It's really positive. Like, it's almost overwhelming in a case, but it's ultimately just very helpful, very supportive. Uh, 
You're never as alone as you think you are. Always in these situations, the first thing that you think of when you're anxious, you have a mental breakdown of sorts, you look around and you feel alone. Whether you're surrounded by people, whether you're by yourself, whether you're in a crowd, whatnot, like you always feel alone in those cases and it's painful. It sucks. Just being able to share it with somebody, being able to talk about it, you never know who else is struggling with it. So, my advice to people in this situation, maybe not this particular one, but just kind of overall, during the month of May, as we come out of the pandemic, as everybody's trying to navigate these difficult waters, because they're still difficult right now. Nobody knows how to operate now that the pandemic is like, well, everybody's kind of got a vaccine or a lot of people have a vaccine and people are trying to figure out how to live their lives again. So be kind to people, be supportive to people, make somebody's day better with a small act of kindness. You just never, ever know how impactful that could be. Whether it's small, whether it's big, if you do a bad thing, then maybe that spirals somebody out of control. People are all on edge right now. And it's been a long basketball season, so I've been on edge. I've needed my mental health days for sure. You just never know how something could be super impactful. How it could be way more impactful than you think it ever might. Because people are just living through all these pain, all these struggles. And you absolutely could make a difference. Just gotta try. Just gotta act. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. I hope you have a great week. The Nuggets, they are going to be an interesting week. It is going to be fascinating to talk about all these storylines as the season comes to a close. We're going to get some rest. We're going to hopefully see that they lock up a top-four seed. And once they do, might even see some Nikola Jokic MVP talk once again. And that is the best. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I will talk to you guys tomorrow.